0: Welcome to episode 30 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on April 30th, 2017. My name is Brad Galloway, and I am the editor at GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this here show. With me, as always, is Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics. How you doing, Corey.
1: Hello Brad, I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I am wonderful and so excited to be recording with you tonight. Same Zs. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, man. I'm pumped. I'm full of energy. I say we just I say we just roll right ahead full steam. What do you say? Let's do it. All right, right on. Uh, so, as our listeners know, as as our usual listeners know, Uh, We tend to get the ball rolling with a traditional few minutes of unnecessary banter that's not necessarily game related, but we had a number of emails and messages and comments from people last week that we wanted to address. We're so grateful to get these messages. Corey, do you like getting messages?
1: I do, as long as they say good things. Yeah, yeah. So far,
0: (laughs) we've had a lot of really good things about this podcast i noticed that the comments we get for the podcast are very different than the comments that i get for my reviews do you do you find that's kind of true about your reviews also
1: well i actually don't really get that many comments on my reviews because i don't a i tend to review like indie games that like a lot of people haven't heard of so i don't really think they care about and i also don't Like, you've been on a pretty hot streak recently of reviewing, like, really, like, critically acclaimed games and giving them just, like, average scores. And people are, like, you know, I mean, like, I need to explain to you how the internet is. People freak out. But, I mean, like, the last games I reviewed uh, probably aren't that well-known. So, people aren't as, like, fired up about them. So, I don't really get that many comments in my reviews. But uh, I I also don't really care at the same time. So, there's that.
0: Well, let me tell you... As nice as it is to get a good comment on a review, uh, if my only comments are going to be bad, I would rather get no comments on my reviews. <laughs> yes, the uh, the firestorm has been frequent and fierce uh, for me this year. I'm kind of looking forward to reviewing some stuff that I actually like. But all that aside, all that aside, my point being, uh, in my rambling roundabout way, is that the comments we get for this show have generally been very positive. And we wanted to take the time to respond to these, talk about these, and just show people basically that we really appreciate that they sent these in. So uh, banter is going to be put on hold for this week. Sorry uh, about that for everybody who likes the banter, uh, but we got to do it in the interest of timeliness. Banter will be back next week, I guarantee it. But for now, Corey, why don't you kick us off with the first email and or comment and or question and or message?
1: Well, uh, this one comes from Jez, who is probably going to be pretty mad that we're not bantering this week because his comment is about our banter. Um, uh, he says, "He says I hope it's he, um, says, I think the banter at the start of the show really grounds everything you review afterwards. It allows us listeners to understand you are real people in the real world. And from my perspective, lets me imagine a life where I not only work and help look after two children, but shock horror, actually play games too.
0: well Jez I'm so sorry that we are not doing banter Uh, it's very ironic considering that you just complimented on us but uh, I'm really glad that you like the banter because I know we kind of go back and forth Um, and this is really ironic because when I listen to shows I kind of don't like when there's too much banter because I mean to be perfectly honest I'm not going to name names but I think a lot of podcasts and I guess maybe we're probably guilty of this too they go really long on the banter and sometimes it's just like it just takes too long sometimes I'm just so excited to hear the game chat I just want them to get to the game chat. But we keep getting comments that tell us that they really like the banter, and this is one of them. So apparently I am in the very uh, small minority of people who kind of gets annoyed at a lot of banter. I mean, do you listen to podcasts, Corey, or what is your personal feeling on banter?
1: Well, I think my feeling on banter is it entirely, entirely depends on the people that are on the show. Because I really don't listen to that many podcasts anymore. Whenever I was in college, I listened to them a lot because I would listen to them on like the train to the university. I say train, but I mean like the five minute bus ride. And, uh, and I would listen to them like in between classes. And if I were coming home for a weekend, I had like an hour and a half drive to go home and uh, back to school. If I were coming home on weekends, I would listen to them like long cards. I listen to them. Um, I don't listen to them that much anymore, but I do know that like, if I like the people that are talking, I generally don't care what they're talking about because if I think someone is fun or cool or like you know, if someone's talking that is someone I would like to hang out with a lot, um, you know, I generally am pretty fine with it. Like, one one podcast that is has been defunct for a long time was the old um, IGN Girl Fight podcast that I totally love that podcast because I liked all the women on it. It was great being able to listen to a group of women talk in a room about games because so many podcasts, it's just, like, all white dudes talking about games. And, I mean, hello, you and I are guilty as charged because we're both white dudes also. But, um... Uh, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm mostly white. I'm I mean, white. <laughs> I, I'm I'm pretty damn white, but at least I'm gay. So I like have that going for me. That's but, true. Uh, you got that factor. Sure. But sure. Uh, I I just I liked the Girl Fight podcast because I liked them. I liked just listening to them talk about whatever. And it, they all had good senses of humor and they were funny. So it kind of I mean, of course, I wanted to hear them talk about games and get their take on them. But it wasn't like I, I didn't like roll my eyes whenever they started talking about other stuff. So I don't know. I guess that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. You know, that's a good point because there are, I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts because I'm in the
0: car a lot for work. And so I have a lot of time when I, I can just listen to stuff as I'm driving around. And so like, yeah, you're very, you're very correct on that. I mean, when I listen to one of my favorite podcasts, if, if it's, it can be anything like my, one of my favorites is as game bar. I love those guys. They can talk about like, they could be reading a menu and it would be like really entertaining and funny. And so I could, I, I would like to listen to them and very often they have clips after the show, which is just like random bullshit that they were just talking about. And they often include that. And I will listen to that too, because I think it's really usually very funny and clever and smart. So that's good. But there are a number of podcasts where the people are just like, yeah, what'd you do? Oh yeah. Watch the game. Oh yeah. Go Niners. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And it's just like, oh God, hurry up and get through this shit and to get to the games talk. And, uh, I mean, it, it depends. So anyway. Uh, I hope that people like our banter. We have gotten good comments. Uh, if you don't like it, please let us know that too, but it seems like it's all good. So, um, I think we're just going to continue to do banter for the rest of eternity, except for this particular episode.
1: Actually, if you, if you don't like the banter, then don't, don't let us know. Just stop listening to the show <laughs> or just like fast forward 20 minutes and never started. it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. Very true. Fast forward. We'll get to it. So,
0: okay uh all right uh thanks for that comment jez uh up next we have a few comments from one of our genuine super fans uh Jerun. Jerun. who is from the netherlands but is currently living in germany our overseas dude um before we get to questions and comments uh we want to first give a shout out to his kids dex and ben ready Corey? uh yeah hi, De- hi dex let's do it ben. hi dex and ben hi, hi dex and ben Hey. Um, we are super happy to give these guys a bit of spotlight because the first thing that we're going to talk about here is kind of about them. Uh, so Jeroen wrote in and I, I I had to edit this for length because it was a a very long comment and we couldn't read the whole thing on the air. Apologies, Jeroen. Uh, but he says, as you know, I'm from the Netherlands, live in Germany, and now my two Dutch sons, who are two and four years old, are not going to learn good English pronunciation in the land of beer where we live now. (laughs) So I came up with this brilliant and obvious idea to expose them to the English language. And I combine the pleasure and joy of listening to something with the education. uh, And namely, the So Video Games podcast. He listens every morning when he drives the missus to work and the kids to kindergarten. Until now. Oh, no. Uh, I know, right? Uh, And he continues, because uh, my GF is getting more irritated by every show since you guys are swearing more and more. Come on, guys, this is getting out of hand. Sure, I can listen to the podcast in the deep dark night, but uh, please stop swearing so incredibly much for the children. It doesn't add anything, and it even starts to distract me from the content. All right, Jarun, as a fellow father, I hear ya. I feel you, brother. I hear you. Um, and, you know, and Ben and Dex, if you guys are listening, I'm so sorry. I don't mean to uh, corrupt your sweet little ears with our salty, salty swearing. Uh, but I got to be straight with you, Jeroon. Uh, the fact is this show is aimed at grownups and I, you know, I'll try to cut back a little bit, but I, in my real life, I swear a lot. I swear all the time, swear like a sailor and I cannot promise that I'm going to stop swearing. In fact, I probably won't be able to, um, I would have to go to therapy or something. I'd have to get like one of those little shock collars that you put on a dog, except instead of barking, whenever I say fuck, it would just (laughs) shock me. Um, Sorry, I just said fuck. Ah, sorry, I just said it again. Um, (laughs) uh, I I get what you're saying, man. And I I do, you know, I apologize as much as I can. But the fact is, I just, I don't think we can stop. We're not really planning on stopping. Um, On the other hand, uh, I do find that if you don't make a big deal out of swearing, it doesn't really become a big deal. You know, we homeschool my son uh, and my wife and I both swear a lot and we don't make a big deal out of it. And it's not really an issue here at home. And we tell our son to not swear when he goes out in public and he does a great job of not swearing. And the, the the upside of that is if you don't make a big deal out of it, kids pick it up and it just becomes part of the natural language. And when my son swears, it sounds totally normal and natural coming out of his mouth. It doesn't sound weird at all. So maybe just approach it that way and just you know, look at it as part of the vernacular of, of speaking English. It's a very not a big deal thing. I mean, maybe it's a big deal to you. Um, so maybe that's not going to work, but that's one idea I had. Um, Corey, what's what's your take on this? Uh,
1: I am um, the last person to give like parental advice to children um, because I don't I don't have kids I don't want kids ever. Um, but it could also be like a cultural thing between like the United States swearing a lot and maybe like you know in the Netherlands or Germany it's less frequent. I'm not really sure about that. But um, I mean I I don't want to be like a big jerk. I'll try to be more cognizant of like what I'm saying. But I mean honestly like this show is it's like Brad said it's not marketed to kids um if you go to like iTunes podcast and look at the show we I very specifically made sure that we had the E for explicit next to the show because I knew that Brad and I this wasn't going to be like a you know like like a family friendly show if you will um I'll try to be more cognizant of it but I I mean I have to be honest I don't think Brad and I the way we talk to each other this podcast is just like us sitting down at dinner and having a conversation pretty much every time we talk and You know it's hard to filter yourself, um, especially you know if I'm sitting at my desk in my house. It's a lot different than if I'm like you know in an office or something like that. So, uh, I mean, I uh, like I just hate to be that guy, but I really just kind of don't care, and I probably will have a very hard time filtering myself. So, I mean, this show is not for kids. I understand, but um, that your kids listen to it and that your girlfriend doesn't like it, and uh, but I mean that's just the way we talk. So, whoops.
0: Yeah, I think the casual nature of our discussion is a big factor in that because, you know, if I get up to speak at work or something, I don't swear, but that's a very different, you know, official, very different tone, very different feeling. I'm kind of like, you know, in the spotlight, but like, you know, like this, like Corey said, we're kind of just sitting down, uh, just chit-chatting, you know, it's a very relaxed, very informal, um, you know, very comfortable discussion, so it's it's probably going to happen, so... Sorry, Jeroen, we cannot grant that request. Uh, Ben and Dex, I also apologize to you. Uh, But hey, maybe you'll learn some really authentic American swearing. And Jeroen's girlfriend, uh, I do not know what your name is, but please don't be too irritated with Jeroen. He's a really good guy. He's one of our best listeners, one of our best fans. Don't be too rough on that guy, okay? Uh, All right, moving on, moving on. uh, More from Jeroen. Let's see, he says, Guys, could you name a couple of titles which are cheap to buy on PS4? which I could play co-op or not co-op with my soon-to-be four-year-old son. Something, for example, like Rayman Legends, but playable by a four-year-old. Difficult question. Corey, do you have any suggestions for Jeroen?
1: Man, I have, like, no examples. I don't play... Like, I rarely play games that are, like, kid-friendly or, like, aimed toward children. Um, I also don't know what games are cheap on the PS4, uh, to be honest. Um... So I really like I, I really have like no answers for this question. I feel really stupid, but um, like the majority of games I play are totally like rated T or rated M, and usually feature violence. Like the only fam, like the only non-violent games I play are like walking simulators. Like I love walking simulators, like Dear Esther, The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, like games like that where it's a lot more about walking around and discovering the environment and exploring. But even those games, they're not kids' games. They're too mature. They're too like thought-provoking and probably too slow paced for kids so i uh, yeah i have no idea what to say here
0: yeah that's a really difficult question man um Jerune, so uh okay so i went through this kind of phase too uh my kids are older now my my oldest is uh 16 my youngest is 8 so we already have kind of passed that um young stage but Four, in my uh, recollection, is when kids are kind of starting to realize that, like, if they push a button on a controller, it does something on screen. But it's still, it's really young. Four is very, very young. Um, I think most of my attempts at that age were very unsuccessful in trying to get them to play something. It's just, it's just too young. But a really good thing to do is just sit them on your lap while you're playing so they can see that you're holding a controller. They can uh, just, you know, have some cuddle time with you. It becomes a very positive experience. And so they kind of associate, you know, games with being a good, fun thing, getting some dad time in. So that's, a, that's my suggestion. First off, just find something that you like to play that doesn't have any exploding heads and whatever it is, just have your kid on your lap. Um, also something that helps is if you get a controller, the same kind that you have, but don't plug it in or, you know, if there's a, a wireless one, don't uh, connect it to your PS4 or whatever. Just let them hold it. If you have your controller and you give one to your kid but the one you give to your kid is inactive they don't really know that at that age they just they see that dad's got a controller they've got a controller it seems like you're doing the same thing they're just sitting down having a good time uh it's really good bonding time so i would suggest uh, giving them like a dummy controller and you sitting down and do that but if you want game specifics uh recommendations that i don't know about cheap because you know things go on sale all the time Uh, Prices change. I don't know about cheap, but I will give you some uh, recommendations of things that my sons have liked at a young age Um, So specifically on the ps4. I mean the first biggest and obvious is minecraft I mean minecraft you can turn off the combat You can turn off anything that has to do with survival. You can turn on creative. It's a little bit complicated but I I tell you what man kids pick that up really really fast and if you sit down you can do co-op with them uh you know it may not be your cup of tea but kids really dig it that would be the first recommendation i would also like to throw out grow home that one is uh, co- controls are a little bit complicated and the physics are a little bit complicated but if your kid is old enough to master that i think it's a really fun safe game to play it's very low stakes no blood no gore just a lot of experimentation and a lot of screwing around which i think kids really love i uh, would also like to suggest leo's fortune is maybe a good one for you to play with your son watching That one's pretty cheap it's like you play as like a puffball who's going through some platforming really cartoony really safe it's really um attractive to kids who like the way it looks lego city undercover is like the, the ultimate screw around game for kids it's just like grand theft auto but no violence no blood no hookers or anything like that they can just run around uh you know if they get killed somehow they just come right back no loss no penalty it's really really fun it's bright and colorful um, now, some other ones that may sound a little strange. I also would like to suggest Nidhogg, uh, which may sound bizarre because that's a really small indie uh, like fencing game. But I tell you what, man, when I played two player Nidhogg with my son, all I had to do was like not move and let him stab me over and over and over. And he just thought that was the most fun thing ever. Now one's bloody. It's a little bit bloody. I mean, granted, the characters are pixels, so it's pixel blood, but it still looks kind of bloody a little bit. So maybe maybe hold off on that one. But file that away for the future because your kid will love it if they stab the fuck out of you and, sorry, and they, uh, (laughs) and they just like run you through with their foil. It's so fun. Like my son had the best time with Nidhogg and all I had to do was sit there. I didn't have to even do anything. Uh, Trials Fusion, the Trials series is really well known for being difficult and it is, but the first couple of levels in Trials are just really easy and fun. It's like sloping hills. You get to go in a dirt bike. Kids love just, you know, going off the jumps and wrecking is really fun. The guy ragdolls all around. It's a really good time. Kids love seeing that. So kids love seeing people get hurt. It's it's good. It's good, clean fun. Um, the final one, I don't know if this was going to work or not, but my kids really do like pinball. So Zen Pinball 2 has a lot of tables. You can pick out which ones are not too scary or which ones seem really family friendly. You know, pinball is kind of an older thing. So maybe it's it's too young for four, but a lot of bright colors the ball zipping around my son's kind of got into it for a while so uh i think those would be my recommendations give those a try and let me know what you think and uh listeners if you have other good recommendations i would love to get those too uh finally the last one from jerune uh he says i was thinking could the upcoming super nintendo entertainment system classic the snes classic which is rumored to be coming it's supposedly coming out either this year or next year. Could that be something interesting for little children, do you think? Corey, what do you think?
1: Um, I think that uh, definitely it could be. The only thing I worry about with exposing children to like the NES classic or the SNES classic is that you know, we we look back on old games very, uh, we you know, with a lot of nostalgia, and a lot of times the nostalgia takes over. Um, like how good or not good the game was. Like we remember games better than they actually are. And I'm not saying that you know, like Super Mario 2 is wasn't a great game or you know whatever, but um, but I think that uh, um, there are some there are some things in old games that we kind of forget about. Like a lot of them don't have like save states. A lot of them you die and you have to start a level completely over. A lot of them have you know like passwords that you have to like do you remember brad on like the nes when you had to like die and you had to like write down the password on a piece of paper and then put it in the next time you started the game like that kind of stuff so i would be i think it would be good for kids because it would be good to get kids into especially young kids to the the very earliest foundations of gaming you know whether it be nes or snes so that they kind of learn where video games came from and where they're going because at this point in time there are people that think that like halo is a retro game and halo is not my idea of a retro game because i'm too old for that but um but uh, i think it's definitely a good idea if the SNES classic actually comes out for kids but i would just be wary about some like old game conventions that might be difficult for kids if you know what i mean
0: yeah, I you know, I don't know, man. I mean, I think, uh, first and foremost, I don't think we even know what's going to be on such a system, if it even is coming. I mean, I'm sure it probably is coming, uh, but I don't know what the release list is. And, you know, some games I think would be really fun for kids, and some would be really not fun. It just depends. Um, as far as the NES Classic, I mean, good luck even finding one of those things. I mean, I don't know why Nintendo's even stopping making them. Everybody I know still wants one and can't get one, so of course... Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Let's stop making these things. Cause
1: well, not cause... only let's stop making them, but let's make another kind of Nintendo DS to put out that nobody wants, but stop making the NES Classic that everybody is trying to buy right now.
0: Oh, my God. I just don't understand Nintendo. Oh,
1: crazy. Anyway, um, yeah,
0: I don't know. I mean, I, everything Corey said, I basically agree with. It really depends on each particular title. I don't think that I would recommend SNES games in general because, you know, like he said, we look back on those things fondly, but at the time, that was the best we had. Now that you go back to some of those, oh, man, some of that stuff is so rough. And there are so many new amenities that we've had, like saving and checkpointing and just better design when it comes to levels and con- you know control of the camera. And just just overall, just the games have gotten so good so fast that when you go back to something like that, even though it really isn't that long ago, it feels like the Stone Age. So... I think from a learning perspective, if your kids are a little bit older, it would be interesting to show them where games have come from. But I tell you what, every time that I've tried to show my kids um, some of that old stuff, they think it's interesting to like look at and they're like, oh my God, this is so crazy looking, but do they want to play it? No, nah, they don't. They really don't. So I think that if I pick the right one, I could get them into it and probably the same for you, but it really depends. And in general, I would say probably steer them towards something more modern because that stuff is, it's just better. It just really is, honestly. Um, Corey, I think we got one more. Why don't you take the last one?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about this. So uh, if you listen to the last show, you might remember that at the tail end of the show, we got an email from a listener named Elio, and he was talking about a game-breaking bug that he experienced in Dreamfall chapters. And Brad and I had a pretty big discussion about bugs in games and to respond to his questions and comments. And after he listened to our show, he sent us a follow-up email that I was really excited to read. And he says... Uh, I listened to your responses. Thanks for the feedback Uh, reporting on the situation. The bug went away with no explanation. Yay. And then he also wanted to let me know that I pronounced his name correctly. So Elio, thank you for writing in. I am thrilled that your game breaking bug did not end up being a game breaking bug. And I hope that you get to finish Dreamfall chapters without anything else bad happening. So uh, knock on wood, I wish you the best. Right on, right on. And I'm very glad we got uh, the
0: name correct too. That's always kind of a gamble because there's so many pr- ways to pronounce names. You know, the English language is so tricky. I mean, you know, certain certain languages, you look at a letter, it's only pronounced one way. Very simple to figure out. But uh, man, uh, I, we're always taking a gamble whenever we pronounce somebody's name. So I'm glad that we, I'm glad we got that one right. <laughs> All right, that is going to do it for Q&A. Thank you very much to everybody who wrote in. And if you have a Q or an A or a comment or anything for us, (laughs) uh, we will have contact info at the end of this show, as we always do. But for now, let's get to the main event, the stuff that you've all been waiting for this week's game chat. Corey,
1: Corey (laughs) Motley, Corey Motley, sir, how about you start us off this week? What you got? I am also very excited to talk about this game. Okay, so... I want to talk about Prey, which is coming out, uh, being published by Bethesda. It is made by Arcane Studios, who have famously made uh, Dishonored and Dishonored 2. Uh, It's actually not out yet. It's coming out May 5th, which is a Friday, which is a little strange, but it'll be out about four to five days after the show goes up. Um, It's coming out for PlayStation 4, Xbox, uh, Xbox One, and PC for $60, but they released a demo for Prey. It's called Prey uh, Demo Opening Hour, but it's more like Prey Demo Opening wow because I was pretty oh, impressed. The demo. God. Um, oh, God. <laughs> so I played it. Um, it came out on Tuesday, I think. And now, wait, 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 wait. I got to interrupt, I- I interrupt you. Before we start, I'm going to let you go, but I got to say
0: this. I wanted to get this in. I started playing this demo too because we we're going to talk about this on the show. And I gotta say, when I started playing this, the first thing I thought was like, "Oh my god, this is a Corey
1: ass video game." Am I am I correct? Was this a Corey ass video game? It, it is a Corey ass video game, but I do have some reservations with it, which we can discuss. Okay. For okay. You. Sorry to
0: interrupt you. Go ahead.
1: So um, to give a little intro on Prey this game is actually a reboot of Prey which Prey was like a near Xbox 360 launch title I want to say it was like close to the beginning of the Xbox 360's uh, run and it was a first person shooter where you played as it like as a Native American dude and he uh, lived in like a reservation area and then there was like aliens that came down and he had to like fight all these aliens and there were a bunch of these like physics-based like portal-esque puzzles where you could like shoot portals into the walls and then you'd be like running on the wall and running on the ceiling but you'd also be like first person shooting like fighting aliens and stuff and I can't remember what kind of reception it got but I feel like it was above average like good reception but it wasn't like you know the best game ever made at the time and a long time ago, uh, uh, they had Bethesda had teased Prey two, which was coming out, and they had a teaser that was like a, it was almost like a found footage, like where people were getting on an airplane to go somewhere, and then like something happened to the airplane, and aliens boarded it, and then that game got canned, and we didn't hear anything about Prey for a long time. Then it turns out that. Apparently you can reboot a series after one game, so which was evidenced by Mirror's Edge earlier this year and now or last year and now it's evidenced by Prey further. So Prey is basically along the same lines as the first game. It's a first-person shooter where you fight these like alien things. And the opening hour demo is basically just that. I'm led to believe that it is the actual opening of the game. Um you play as a scientist, um, and you can choose the gender, male or female. You're Morgan U is your name. You wake up to go to work, and you're going to some kind of space station thing to, um, I guess, like, conduct experiments or something. It doesn't super-duper explain it, which is fine, because I don't think the game has to super-duper explain it, but... Um, But in a nutshell, I don't want to give away a lot of stuff at the beginning of the game because I actually think the beginning of the game is like quite stunning. The stuff that happens in the first 20 minutes of the game, I think is absolutely incredible. And if you've played Dishonored 2, um, I immediately thought about the Clockwork Mansion, which I think is one of the best design levels I've played in a very long time uh, in a video game. A lot of the innovations in that level and level design, I totally felt bleeding through into Prey. So I was very excited. Um, but long story short, you, the place that you're working at kind of gets taken over by these alien things and they're called mimics. And they're kind of like these little black shadowy creatures. They remind me a lot of head crabs from half-life two. And the thing, their hook is that they, as the name suggests, they're mimics. They look like things in the room. So you walk into a room And the mimic might be, it might look like a chair or it might look like a lamp in the corner or it might look like a piece of fruit on a table or something. And then if you get too close or if you make too much noise in the room or if like you move too quickly, they will morph out of that mimic form, morph into their like black, like shadowy form and attack you. Um, And I don't know, the game to me, um, Brad, I promise I'll stop talking in a second so you can talk, but the game to me feels a lot like And I'm only the 7,000th person to say this, so this is this is like ice cold takes by Corey Motley. It feels like it feels a hell of a lot like Bioshock and Half-Life 2 and Deus Ex, like built into the Dishonored engine. Because if you played Dishonored or Dishonored 2, this game mechanically feels very similar to those, obviously because it's developed by the same people. But I have to say my big, um, my big thing that I have reservations about with the game is that I don't think the combat is that great in the demo. Most of the combat is you have like a wrench and you can uh, hit the mimics with your wrench. You get like a shotgun a little bit into the game and you get this cannon that kind of like freezes the mimics in place so you can attack them. And I don't think the combat is very tight. You, there's no, as far as I can tell, there's no way to aim down the sights. So it's kind of like a uh, like Doom, where you just kind of run around and strafe and shoot. But you can be stealthy. The game places some uh, some elements on stealthiness and getting around and like setting traps in like a Bioshock kind of way. But. Uh... I just don't think the combat is that it's tight enough to satisfy me. So maybe it will be better tuned when the game actually comes out or maybe it'll be patched or maybe I'll just have to get used to the pace of the game as I play it. But generally when a mimic pops up, it's kind of it's just like the head crabs and in, uh, in half-life where they jump around. it's really hard to get a beat on them. it's hard to hit them. so I end up just like spinning in circles and swinging my wrench around like a big idiot. And to make matters worse there's a stamina meter. so if you swing your wrench like four times your stamina runs out and that your character kind of has to like take a couple breaths before you can start um, start swinging the wrench again. So it's kind of like a couple of mechanics that are adding into like a not good gameplay experience for me but i still have high hopes i think i might buy this game when it comes out because i'm pretty excited about it but uh now that i've talked for like 10 minutes straight uh, brad what do you what do you think what do you have to say
0: uh well like i said the first thing that came to my mind was this was a cory ass video game and the second (laughs) thing that came into mind was that this is not a brad ass video (laughs) game at all um it did. I mean, I think that you're on point when you're saying it, it, it's kind of like, um, you know, Dishonored. It's kind of like Deus Ex. It's kind of like Bioshock. It's kind of like all those things. Um, but, you know, I got to be honest, man. I just I don't think I like the work of Arcane Studios. I didn't like any of the Dishonored games. Um, they've done some other stuff in the past, I think. And I, I can't remember what it is right now, but I, I don't think I'm a fan. Um, I just don't think I click with what they're putting out. Like, I'm not a big uh, person who... Goes in for, like, first-person, like, explore every corner of a level and read all of the emails and check all the computers and look for alternate routes. Like, I liked the first... not Okay, well, I did like the first Deus Ex, and I liked Deus Ex Human Revolution a lot. But, like, everything since has just kind of bounced off of me. I don't know what it was about uh, about those two games, but those ones really clicked, and other ones haven't. And so, as I'm going through the demo, I was just like, uh, this is not fun for me. I just don't like walking around and checking out this room and what's in here and what what's pick what's pick upable. What can I collect? What ooh wire? I'm going to grab this wire and I'm going to grab this. I'm like, ah, this is so boring. <laughs> like, I just am not the biggest fan of this type of gameplay. And uh, I mean, I think the intro was interesting. Um, I think that I was not blown away by it, but I thought it was interesting. And then once you get past that, it was just like, ah, I feel like I'm just doing the same style of game again, where you're just looking for the upgrades to upgrade your guy along a specific path and then there's going to be multiple ways to solve each puzzle in a room like I just I don't know it just wasn't clicking with me it felt like a rehash of other games that we've had before and I just I wasn't really captured by the premise of being this space person and these um I don't know the, the mimics like they're not they don't look cool to me they they were not interesting and I think it was really irritating because like you go into a room and then I would get attacked from behind and it would be like a coffee mug had turned into a mimic and hit me from behind. And I'm like, well, that's irritating. And then I go to like whack that guy and then I keep walking and then something else is hitting me from behind. And oh, hey, that chair was actually a mimic and it hit me from behind. And I'm like, okay, this sucks. Like, this is not fun. Uh, I don't enjoy this very much at all. Uh, Yeah, I didn't get very far. I did not like complete the demo. I didn't get to see everything the demo offered. I just I just saw this and I'm like, this is not my jam. Uh, I, I'm, you know, no, it's not like I'm slagging on it or anything. I just, this is not for me. I just know it's not for me. Uh, it was enough to let me know that I should avoid this when it comes out. I'm not going to play it. I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to just let it just, just pass me by. And I think that's going to work out for the best. Um, I will say though, that, uh, I want to ask you, Corey, you probably played more of the demo than I did. Did they get to the part where you get to transform at all or not? What do you mean by transform? Okay. So the answer is no, uh, because (laughs) Uh, I was watching, who was I watching? I was watching something about this game because honestly, I just didn't really know anything about this game. And so at at some point in the game, you get the ability to become a mimic yourself. And so you can turn into like anything in the environment. You can turn into a coffee cup. You can turn into a chair. You can turn into a book. You can turn into a ruler. You can turn into a plant. Like the person on this, this stream that I was watching was trying to get inside a locked room and there was just like a very small window that the person could not, t- absolutely could not fit in. But they turned into like uh, like a pencil or a, a stapler or something like that. And then they just like rolled inside the window and then got inside <laughs> the room and turned back into a person. And it just didn't look cool to me. Like, I, I mean, it's kind of a cool idea to be able to turn into different things and maybe hide or, you know, that seems to offer a lot of possibilities. But just like watching it, I just I just don't like the way this game looks. I just don't... I'm not excited by it. I just... I'm not interested. So I'm going to give this one a hard pass, man. But I, I look forward to you getting into it. In fact, I mean, gosh, I should see if you want to even do the review for us at Game Critics. I mean, you're probably the right person to play this. But yeah, I don't know, man. I just, It's just not... Nothing about it was really uh, clicking with me. And I think probably the aesthetics have a lot to do with that because I don't like Arcane's art style at all. It's, It's, it's really gross to me and I don't like it. I mean, how do you... How do you feel about, like, the way Dishonored looks, and how do you feel about, like, how Prey looks?
1: Well, I think that Prey looks—to me, Prey looks a lot different than Dishonored because Dishonored has a very, like, kind of, like, cartoony art style where it's definitely not 100% based in realism. Like, it's got—like, everything in the game looks like a caricature of what it's supposed to be, and I'm actually not a huge fan of Dishonored's art style. I kind of wish that it were just, like, based in realism and not, like, a caricature, but I mean— you know, what do you say? The game has its own art style. Like, it, it has a style other than being, than just shooting for absolute realism. But, um, I think that, uh, Prey actually doesn't look that way to me. Prey looks very much more based in realism. Like, the characters don't look like, you know, the character doesn't have a nose that's like 10 inches long and like giant ears or something. Like, the characters are all, um, They all look normal um which is better for me i just prefer that but uh and the the art style of the game it's very like it's almost eye rolling if you're like not into it but i don't mind because it's the whole like bioshock like art deco but it's like art deco and space so it's like you're in this like really sophisticated you know science facility or whatever but then you go in the bathroom and the toilets look like they're from like a steampunk revolution and they're like copper and gold and they have this like weird basin in the back. And, and it's interesting because I, I actually like the art style a lot in this game because it kind of makes it, like it's like a retro future or like, you know, whatever other eye-rolling terms you want to use. But um I, I'm like A-okay with this game's art style. My main worry right now is just the the combat tightness, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, well, I agree with the tightness because when those little mimics were jumping all around, they look like little like black starfish or something like that. And like trying to whack them with the wrench was really irritating. And I was trying to shoot them with uh, the freeze gun. And that was irritating. I just was just like, I'm just not having this. So, uh, yeah, I just was I was just out. I am I am not not doing this. So anyway, I got nothing else to say about it. I mean, you know, like I said, I'm not slagging on it. I just I just know immediately this is not a Brad game and I'm going to steer clear. So that's kind of the end of my relationship with Prey.
1: Yeah, I'll be interested to see how the game reviews, because Bethesda, whenever Dishonored 2 came out, Bethesda rolled out their weird, like, oh, we're not going to give out review copies for this game policy, where they're trying to, like, lie about it and say that, like, video game streamers and the public and game press are all going to get the game on the same day. So it'll be interesting for me. I'm always fascinated by these situations, because I definitely... I don't think that's the right way for Bethesda to conduct their video game reviewing business. I think that they got lucky with Doom and with Dishonored 2 because those games were very, very uh, well-hyped, well-reviewed games. But like Prey, kind of like you said, like uh, this game I feel like hasn't been marketed that heavily and I feel like it's kind of coming out of left field and not a lot of people even like realize that it's coming out in a week. So I'm interested to see if it will review well and if the sales will be down. Because I feel like this is going to be one of those expensive games that is going to review like, you know, very like sevens across the board, sevens to eights maybe. And then like nobody's going to buy it because like nobody heard about it and there wasn't any like review hype leading up to the release. So I'll be interested to see if Bethesda like goes back on their review policy or changes it or something after this game comes out. So we'll see. That's a really good point, because, I mean, everybody knows what Doom is, and, you know,
0: the first Dishonored made a really big splash, so it had a lot of recognition. Uh, Prey, I mean, you know, even when it came out back in the day, which was, like, a long time ago, I mean, that was, like, like you said, like a 360 launch title or very near to it. It was only, like, an okay title back then. I mean, I played it and enjoyed it, but this has nothing to do with that, and even if people remember that game, again, nothing to do with that. So there's nothing really to capitalize on, and it's very tough to understand what this game is about. Like, I think the demo answered a lot of my questions i mean it certainly showed me what i needed to see and that in addition to the stream which i saw which highlighted the transformation ability but i bet a lot of people just don't really have any fucking idea what this game is (laughs) and i think they may be in for a rougher ride i mean i i can't say how this game is going to review because to me i was like yuck i don't want to play this but i know this is the jam for a lot of people a lot of people like this style of game and that's cool, uh, you know, nothing against that, but I, I honestly don't know how this is going to review, and you may be right. I think they may be in for a rougher ride this time, so we shall see. Uh, and uh, yeah, you, you think you're you're down on launch day, huh? Uh, I'm sorry,
1: will you repeat that? I said you were down for this on launch day, huh? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I think it's one of those games where I'm going to be tossing and turning on it up until it comes out, because... Uh, if the it's kind of funny because we talked about demos like three weeks ago on the show and i feel like if i had not played the demo i maybe would have bought it on launch day but now that i've played the demo i'm like a little bit worried about buying it on launch day so i i don't know like maybe i will maybe i won't i it'll probably be like literally up until the day comes out before i make my decision so uh yeah we'll see what happens
0: well, fair enough. You know, people in the industry say that demos actually lose sales rather than generate them in most cases. So that could be the case this time. We shall see. So anyway, that's Prey, developed by Arcane Studios, published by Bethesda, releasing May 5th. PS4, Xbox One, PC, 59 Moving on, uh, I will take the next one. And I'm going to talk about a game that I think probably everybody on Earth, or at least everybody on Earth who listens to this podcast has already heard of a million times and is probably sick to death of hearing about, but it's what I'm playing this week and so that's what I'm going to talk about. I started playing uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild uh, last week and at this point I am fairly deep into it, I would say probably a little less than half, but that's really hard to describe because a lot of the game is simply exploring the world and it's it's tough to kind of measure exactly how much you've done. Uh, but you know developed by Nintendo published by Nintendo released March 3rd 2017 on the Wii U and the Switch Uh, I do not have a switch yet so I am playing it on the Wii U and I will say that it plays just fine I've had no problems whatsoever the only issue I've had with it is that the back of the box says that it's compatible with the uh, gamepad pro from the Wii and that is actually not true it is not compatible with the Wii's pad which was sad to me because I did have that one on hand And I do not have the Wii U Pro controller, so I'm going to have to probably get one of those pretty soon. Um, Otherwise, I feel kind of silly to even say this, but I'm going to say it for the people who have not played Zelda yet. Uh, You know, latest entry in this long-running historic uh, series. You play as who else, Link? And the big switch up for this particular installment is that you're in a wide open world. Uh, The developers give Link all of his abilities. Basically, at the start, he gets... Uh, a f- a, the ability to freeze water. He gets uh, a giant magnet that he can use on metal things. He gets a couple of bombs. He gets a circle bomb and he gets a square bomb. And let me tell you, Corey, the square bomb is the best fucking idea Nintendo's ever come up with. Because, you know, having a bomb that doesn't roll when you drop it in a physics-based game is awesome. I love having a square <laughs> bomb. So useful. Uh, he's got... What else has he got? He's got some other power. I mean, he, anyway, he gets all these powers at the beginning and then once you get these powers... You're let loose in this giant, giant environment, and it's kind of up to you what you want to do. Uh, The main loop to gameplay is that Link has a stamina meter, which basically controls everything that he does when he's exploring. Whenever he's uh, gliding in a glider that he gets, like when you jump off of something high, you can glide. That takes stamina. When he's climbing up surfaces, he can climb up almost any surface in the game. A surprising amount of services. It needs, it needs stamina. So a lot of what you do is governed by how much stamina you have. And the other thing to this game is that it uses uh, weapon degradation. So he picks up a bunch of weapons. Almost every enemy drops a weapon. Link will pick these up and he will use them for himself. But then they break after a couple of uses and he's constantly cycling through weapons. Um... I wasn't really sure if I was going to play this right away, but Gamefly sent it. I was shocked. Like, they sent it to us, like, on release day, and I did not expect that at all. And I let my wife go through it first, because I'm not the world's biggest Zelda fan. I think a couple of the games are really good. I think a lot of them are kind of mediocre and overrated, and a couple of them are kind of bad. So I'm not the world's biggest Zelda fan. I'm certainly not a Nintendo diehard by any means. And I'm like, you know, it came in from Gamefly. I'm like, hey, honey, you want to play this? She's like, sure. So she's, she played it and she put like, I mean, it must've been like over a hundred hours. It seemed like every time I was coming in the living room, she was playing it and she liked it a lot. And my wife has good taste. So I'm like, if you like this, I should probably check this out. I watched her for a few sessions and I got to say it looked pretty cool and it got me fired up to play. And I am, as I said about, you know, roughly halfway into it overall. Um, I think it's really good. Uh, I, I was speaking to some people on Twitter and I guess a lot of people expected me to hate this game. But, you know, I'm keeping you guessing. You cannot predict what I will like or what I will not like. (laughs) Even I don't know what I'm going to like or what I don't like. But I will say this is a really good game. I think it's very good. I think it's probably uh, the best Zelda since Wind Waker. I really liked Wind Waker a lot. I think this is excellent. Um, I don't want to say that it's the best Zelda ever. But I think that it's really, really good. And it definitely is worthy of most of the praise. It's not like a 10 out of 10 for me. It's not a perfect game. I did not find Jesus when I played this game I did not feel like a better person after playing this game but I do think that it is worthy of most of the praise and I think it's very very good um what do I like about it what I like is that it kind of restores the feeling of exploration to Zelda which has been missing from the last few installments Zelda really started to feel very on the rails where you find a weapon in a dungeon you use that weapon in that dungeon and then it doesn't really have any functionality for the rest of the game you have a pretty uh prescriptive path through the game which is kind of dull a lot of talking a lot of just really just fat a lot of boring stuff it just didn't feel that great and you know zelda if you if you listen to miyamoto was about like exploration it was about his time as a kid when he was like exploring these caves and going out in the wild and it was that feeling of being out there and i think that breath of the wild really recaptures that like once you get past the tutorial you're just out there you can go in any direction you want and if the enemies, like, start one-shotting you, then you know you're going in the wrong direction. You should probably pick a different direction. And the feeling of just, like, wanting to know what's over the next hill or what's going to be around the next corner is really good. I think they've really captured that. It helps that sometimes uh, you're just walking for a while and nothing's happening. Like, you're just taking in the scenery. Like, it's not constant battle, which is really good. Sometimes you just, like, are in a field or you're on a mountainside. And it's just really pretty and you're just kind of taking the environment. It looks really nice. And then you come around a corner and then there's, like, enemies... And this is the first Zelda in a long time where it's deadly. Like, you die, like, all the time in this game. Like, almost every monster at the beginning can overpower you. It's really tough. And uh, the weapon breaking doesn't uh, help anything. So it's got good exploration. It's got a great environment. It's got a good sense of danger, which, you know, it's not like I want this to be Dark Souls or anything. But I gotta say, like, when even the smallest goblin can take you down, it really makes you think about things. And it's nice to be able to... Uh, you know, just go the other direction. You don't want to go that way because those guys are too tough? Fuck it. Like, go the other way. Go someplace else. It's really nice. I like that freedom. So it's good. It's good. It's not perfect, though, but I have been talking for a while. Corey, did you have any questions before I launch into what I don't like about it?
1: Um, the only big question I could think of, and this might be, like, the dumbest question ever, is, uh... Is it true that whenever the game starts, you, the final boss is basically open to go fight at any point, and you decide how much exploring and how much preparation you want to do before you go fight the final boss? Is that right?
0: That is absolutely true, but uh, just because it's true doesn't mean that it's doable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I've seen some speedrunners take a stab at it, and I know that it's possible, But, you know, spoilers, Ganon's the last boss. I bet nobody on Earth could have guessed that. Uh, He's tough as hell. And the enemies leading up to him are tough as hell. And the area that's leading up to him, really, really hard. I mean, you could go and do it. And if you're, like, a pro, like, if you're one of those savants who can dodge every attack and every strike you make finds its mark and your, you know, reflexes are amazing. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could do it. It's kind of, but to me, that's, like, the equivalent of, like, somebody doing, like, a, like a naked run in Dark Souls. I don't know if you know about those, but, like, you know, some people will, like, equip nothing. Like, they'll be naked except for underwear and a sword, and they'll, like, complete all of Dark Souls. That's a, that seems to me, like, about how hard this is. So, like, it's possible, but not probable. I don't think very many people are ever going to do that. So, I mean, it's there if you want it, but, nah, not going to
1: happen for, like, 99.9% 9. of most people, so. <laughs> okay, I have another question. I just thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Friend of the show, Mike Susky I know he has been playing this game and really likes it And he said that, uh, I remember him saying that He made the mistake of playing Zelda and then playing Horizon And he said the games have a lot In common, but he thinks that Zelda Handles its open world like a bajillion times better Than Horizon. Now seeing as you played Horizon first, and were hot on it For like five hours, and you hated it For the next like few hours that you played Are you glad that you're playing Zelda after it? Um
0: I don't think it would have mattered because even though I think that Zelda is way better uh, as a game than Horizon is, I think that it, it offers something different to me. Like, it, it feels different to me. Um, I think that its approach is more open and it's more... Um, it's not really procedural. It's not really uh, emergent. I mean, it's kind of emergent because, like, unexpected things can happen. But just like the whole approach of the game, it, it just feels so different to me. Like, they don't force you into these weird um, confrontations. You have way more choices because you can fly away from things, you can run away, you can choose to go on whatever terrain you want to as long as you have the stamina. Whereas in, in Horizon, that was not true. Like, there was a lot of surfaces you could not climb, there were a lot of places that you could not go, I hit a couple invisible walls when I was playing, so... it also, the lack of story in, um, well, okay, not a lack of story, but the lack of story being forced on you in Zelda is a very... Well, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche to say it, but in this game, I think it works. I don't think that works in every game. I'm not, I'm not anti-story. I'm not against story at all. But the story in Horizon, to me, was bad. I know a lot of people like it, and that's fine. Uh, but for me, I did not like the story. I did not like the characters, and so it was kind of painful to get through that stuff. In uh, Zelda, you discover the story if you want to. Like, you'll get little bits here and there, but if you want to, like, if you want more you have to actively go seek it. So you don't really get it unless you want to. And if you want to, then of course you're going to like it better because you're going after it. So um, I don't think that these games feel a lot alike to me, but I do see some similarities. But overall, I think like Breath of the Wild is like a way better game than Horizon was for me. So, um, So, okay. So let me just really quickly throw out some stuff that I don't like about Zelda because this is not a perfect game. I've seen some people like flipping out, like completely losing their shit. 10 out of 10, 12 out of 10, 15 out of 10. Oh my God, this is the best game ever. And if you don't like this game, you're a bad person. Okay, let's just hold our horses a little bit. Um, I have to say that the weapon degradation is a really bad idea. It does not work in this game. In fact, it almost never works in any game. Um, I can only think of one game where it actually worked and that was the exception and not the rule. Uh, in this game, I find it to be a very poor system, which is just not very well suited for what you're doing Uh Uh, Oftentimes, like, you'll just pick up these random weapons and sometimes it's not the weapon that you want to use. But it's not like switching weapons really does anything different. Um, The game that does it well is Let It Die. That game, it uses degradation perfectly because when uh, a weapon breaks, you have to pick up another weapon. And every weapon handles totally differently. So it's constantly keeping the combat fresh because you're always switching. Like, the way that a lance handles is different than the way a gun handles, is different than the way a sword handles, is different than the way a hammer handles. So you really have to be, like, on your toes and know the combat. In Zelda, there's only, like, long swords, which you hold with two hands. uh, And that encompasses, like, broad swords or clubs or claymores or anything. Like, they look different, but they're all functionally the same. There are short swords. And then there's, like, wands and boomerangs. I mean, maybe there's more in the game, but I've been playing for, like, I don't know, 30, 35 hours. And that's basically all I've found. So you're, you're not really switching anything. Nothing's changing. So I don't see the benefit in like forcing a player to be constantly using a sword, using it like once or twice, and it breaks. I mean, it breaks ridiculously fast. And then like, you're constantly having to pick up new things. Um, it's a pain in the ass because it doesn't change anything for the combat. It doesn't add anything to it. And it makes you go into the menu every five seconds because you have very limited item slots. And so like, you're constantly picking up a sword and then you find a new sword, and the new sword is better than the other sword, and so you gotta like go in your menu and get rid of the old sword and pick up the new sword, and you go back and forth, and it's just really clunky and cumbersome. And for a game that seems to want to like immerse you in its world, it's finding every excuse possible to like take you out of that immersion and go back in the menu and fuck around with your inventory. It's oh, it's so annoying, so annoying. Um, I also think that uh, in the game when you climb, thing climbing is a huge part of this game, like climbing mountains, climbing walls climbing plays a huge part. And when it rains, you cannot climb anything because you slip and it rains all the time. Um, I can see how it's used in certain areas to kind of gate you off. Like there's a a couple levels I've been to where they very specifically want you to do this one thing and they don't let you get around that because it's raining. So you can only go this path. That makes sense, but it rains all the time. And it's just like, it's so irritating. I'll be climbing a side of a mountain and then it'll start to rain and then I got to just sit there and wait. I got to like wait in real time for the rain to go away because if I try to keep climbing, I'm just going to fall down. And it's just, uh, it's really irritating. And I don't feel that that adds anything either. Like I said, in limited circumstances, great. Like in general, I think it kind of just, it's just making me waste playtime, which I really don't appreciate, but Anyway, um, I got a couple more niggles uh, to to bring up, but I'm going to let that go for now. I've talked for like a million years. (laughs) Overall, I think it's a really good game. I think it's a really, really good game. I think it's a very needed course correction for Zelda. And I think that it is as good as most people are saying. Not everybody, not the crazies, but as most people are saying, it's very, very good. I like it a lot. I'm going to finish it. It's going to take me a while. I'm kind of like chipping away at it because it's a huge game. Uh, but so far, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's good. It's really, really good. I dig it.
1: Well, would you like to, um, switch gears from a game that course corrected to a game that ran so fucking far off the rails that it's like the most mediocre thing the studio's ever put out ever? that
0: sounds perfect and that is actually music to my ears sir i have a suspicion you're talking about mass effect i am talking about mass effect andromeda (laughs) oh take it away and i'm just gonna i'm gonna lean back i'm gonna put my feet up i'm gonna listen to this and i'm gonna savor every second of
1: it okay okay so i started i got mass effect andromeda from gamefly like a actually i got it like a long time ago but i played horizon first so i've had it's been sitting on my coffee table for like a month and i've just been using that month to play horizon Um, I finished Horizon, and I started Mass Effect Andromeda, like, two... No, why did I say two? It was, like, five nights ago. It's irrelevant. Why am I counting the nights I've been playing Mass Effect? Um, It came out from Bioware. It was published by EA. Uh, No, but that's not news to anybody. It came out on March 21st, PS4, Xbox One, PC. Um, I've sat down with it about two or three times. I'm, like, nine and a half hours in, and I, uh, like this game is, it's just, like, so mediocre. Like, it's not, I don't think it's, like, bad. It's just, like, so mediocre. And it, like, I cannot believe how dull the opening sequence of the game is because Mass Effect 2 has one of the greatest opening sequences of games ever, in my opinion, in the history of the world, when you're on the normandy and it gets attacked and you walk out into the bridge and half the top of it's missing and it's in slow motion and the sound cuts out and you can hear your breathing in your helmet that's like one of the most breathtaking moments in games to me and at the beginning a fucking mass effect andromeda is just like oh i woke up in this cryo chamber oh here's a bunch of people that are all really boring uh, Let's go down to a planet and engage in some really uninteresting combat with some aliens that all look exactly the same because we only had time to make one character model for the enemies in this game. And it's just like, man, Brad, it's so mediocre. It's not actively bad enough for me to, like, want to stop playing it, but it's just like, like... Uh like the none of the characters are interesting in the game like you you get it does like a mass effect 2 thing where you like round up a bunch of characters in the first like like i bet, I bet about seven to eight hours again and you have all the characters like on the ship that you need to do the rest of the stuff in the game but i've been playing it for almost nine hours and i still or it's actually like nine and a half i think so almost 10 hours and the game still just like has not hit its stride like i feel like Like, overall, I know what I'm doing. Like, the point of the game is that all these people went into cryosleep for 600 years to go to this, um, like, planet system that's, like, really, really, really far away from Earth, and all these planets are supposed to be, like, amazing and, like, super inhabitable, and then you all go to sleep for 600 years, you get there, and you're basically supposed to, like, bring humanity and other alien races. Like, you're all meeting there to, like, start up a new life on on these other planet systems. Um, I'm assuming because... I'm sure in the Mass Effect universe, I'm, Trump probably became president there too, and like blew up the <laughs> earth, and that's why they all wanted to inhabit other planets. Or oh whatever. god, that's so, making me really fucking sad, dude. We gotta um, don't say that anymore. <laughs> so you you get there, and basically when you get there, the planets are not good. Like you get there, all the planets are gross. There's like they don't look inhabitable at all. Um, the space station you're supposed to land on is like half finished, and it's like it's just, like, not, it's, like, not good news, which I think is actually kind of an intriguing, like, like, uh, way, like, it's an intriguing story for a game, but I've been playing it for almost 10 hours, and, like, I still barely have any idea who, like, the main bad guy is in the game, or, like, what, like, the real, because the problem of the game is that you need to inhabit the planets, but that's, like, not a strong enough, like, narrative line to really, like, push me to play the game more, and there is a, like a a bad guy quote unquote in the game i can't i can't even remember his name so that shows how much he's been in the game so far and he's like barely even in it he has like a brief scene like a, an hour or two in and then he has like another like 10 second scene later and then like 8 hours in he's introduced again and says a few things and i'm just like okay like in mass effect 1 Like, you go and you find Saren, who's the main bad guy of the game, and you, like, see this crazy shit that he does, and you, like, you're trying to expose him for the whole game. That's, like, the point in Mass Effect 1. And, like, you know what's going on from, like, an hour in, and, like, who's the main bad guy, who are, like, your two best crew members, and, like, what the mission is, like, so early on in the game. And in this game, I'm just, like, meandering around, like, uh, like, gathering these crew members that are all really boring, and... Like, even the alien races, like, don't seem very interesting. It seems like—it's almost like they were all written as humans and then just, like, given alien bodies. Because in the old Mass Effect games, like, if there were a Turian in the room, you knew you knew who they were based on their look, their dialogue, their attitude. You know, if there's a Krogan, you knew exactly—you expected them to act a certain way. And, like, Asari, like, you, you knew how they carried themselves, how they talked and everything— but in this game, like, none of them even sound... There's, like, one Krogan in the group on the crew who actually acts like a Krogan. And you have, like, an Asari on the team. And, like, I like, if they wrote her as a, as a white woman and she were presented as a white woman, I would be like, okay, she's a white woman. Like, there's nothing about her that makes me think she's Asari. And, man, I just... Like, I'm probably going to keep playing this, Brad, but it's just, like, so, so mediocre. And, like, not... I mean, I knew that it was going to be not great based on what everybody else is saying, you know, in the entire universe. But it's just not not as good. I was hoping that I could go in and, like, really give this game, like, the benefit of the doubt and, like, really enjoy it. And I think if the combat were good, then that would be enough to, like, really, like, help me. But even the combat is not great. Like, all this game makes me want to do is play the old Mass Effect games or, like, put Mass Effect 3 in because Mass Effect 3 has, like, the best combat system and it's, like, fast and furious and, like, you're using your biotics and, like, your your throw move and singularity and, like, combining them all in the field with these, like, really intense gunfights with, like, really wonderful sound design. And this game, it's, like, the combat is, like, worse than Mass Effect 1 and I don't think Mass Effect 1's combat is good and I think that this game is, like, it's, like, the worst thing that's come out of the Mass Effect universe ever and I'm not... I'm just not pleased with it, Brad.
0: Well, that makes two of us. I'm not going to rehash everything I said because I did talk about it at length on a previous episode uh, and people who missed that can go back and catch that. But yeah, I'm right with you. I am one of the biggest Mass Effect fans out there. The first Mass Effect is like my favorite game of all time and I went into this giving it every chance. I mean, I know a lot of people were kind of down on it uh, before release, but I was excited. I'm like, I'm fine with the new universe. I'm fine with kind of a a new start, uh, you know, a new premise. Like I'm all good, like I'm ready to go, and everything that this game delivered to me was just not not on point. Like it feels like a lot of busy work, fetch quests, which are not interesting. Like you said, the writing's dull, the characters are dull, my main character is dull, the premise is dull. I just uh, nothing about it really grabbed me, and that's it's weird because you know, like you said, it's not terrible. I mean, I have certainly played worse games for sure. I played worse games, not the worst game I've ever played, but when you're coming off of the fucking Mass Effect trilogy, I'm sorry, like some of the best gaming out there. I don't care who you are, I don't care where you're from or what you think. You got to give the Mass Effect trilogy props. I mean, that shit was like it was it was earth-shattering. That was a good-ass series of games. Those three games in total, some of my favorite gaming in history, man. Like I you know, I've played so much stuff and that is like at the top. All the crewmates, all the stories, all the the stuff you did. I mean, so incredible. Um, and so the bar was set really high and to have this stuff come out and it's just like, ah, oh, it's really generic and dull and uh, just, uh, uh, just none of it, none of it on point, none of it on point. Uh, I was, I was ready to give it a shot, but it, it seems to me like on top of just being boring, like really poorly written, like it wasn't even finished. I mean, they've patched a bunch of stuff after it came out buggy you know well well documented bugs weird stuff going on to characters faces weird repeating dialogue all sorts of just oddness going on uh yeah I just I just I think that as much as I hate to say it I was a really big bioware fan um, back in the day but I think that everybody who had talent at bioware probably left uh you know that probably sounds bad and I'm sure anybody who's still at BioWare, I mean I'm sure there are still talented people at Bioware. I'm not trying to say they're bad people or anything. This is not personal. But just to be honest, the last few games from Bioware, they've been bad, okay? They've been really bad. And they don't have the magic. Like, I, you know, for a while, anything with that name on it was solid gold. Bought it no problem and loved it. But this is not true anymore. I think they have lost whatever it was, whatever secret sauce made them good. I mean, the doctors left. I think a lot of one of their lead writers left. I mean, who knows who else left, but. The House of Bioware is in some big fucking trouble right now. It is not good times. So I am very, very, very concerned uh, about the kind of stuff they're releasing. And as for me, uh, I played about 20 hours of Andromeda and stopped, and I don't think I'm ever coming back to it. So, yeah,
1: not good times. Well, there's a couple um, a couple things that whenever you were talking that I actually think that I do want to say a little a bit of extra stuff on. I think that... Um... The, I think the one thing that I enjoy the most about the game, well, so, some of, like, the level design is, like, the the physical, like, graphics of the levels look good, but that's very superficial and beside the point. But one thing that I do like about the way the game sets you up for the crew is that um, you play as writer, and she or he, I'm playing as a woman, um, she is very unexpectedly and quickly put into this role of Pathfinder, and, like, nobody really expected her to get the role, and then she suddenly has it. And, like, part of the game is her, like grappling with her crew and the people on her ship who like don't necessarily think that she deserved the role and this is kind of like a like uh i'm kind of like pulling here but um a, a few years ago i used to be a i worked in retail i was at target and i used to be a, a team leader for presentation and pricing team and like i don't want to like Brag, but that's probably, like, one of the most difficult um, team lead positions at Target. And sometimes I feel like Ryder, like, I feel like she was like me whenever I worked at Target because her crew members, like, they all, there's not really a lot of, like, solidarity among the crew. And they're all kind of, like, just working there because they feel like they have to. And some of them, like, you can tell they have, like, ulterior motives about why they join the team and why they're doing things. And, like, morale is not very high and it kind of reminds me of whenever I was a team leader because that's kind of how the team that worked under me was like you know everybody was working retail and some of them had been there for like 40 years and it's like a lot of people didn't want to be there they didn't really care they just kind of like came in to like get their paycheck and like you know put in some like mediocre to good work and so I feel like I can relate to her on that level because everybody just like comes to the weekly meetings so that they can basically leave and they don't really want to say anything and they just want to get out of there um well, but that makes the, a lot
0: of sense because I think that uh, Mass Effect Andromeda is about as exciting as Target is. So that's a very apt <laughs> comparison.
1: And another thing that uh, I was thinking about was um, the, the dialogue system in the game is a little bit different than the old one. And I know you talked about this on the show whenever uh, whenever we discussed it before. But um, instead of... Because the, the big thing with Mass Effect dialogue in the first three games is that usually there was like like, the, the really nice thing to say or, like, the renegade, like, mean thing to say or, like, direct thing to say. And then there was, like, the middle ground thing to say that kind of, like, encompass a little bit of both. But in this game, everything you say is sort of, like, tied to an emotion. Like, there's, like, the logical response and the professional response, like, the, the kind of, like, romantic, like, flirty response. And uh, there's, like, another one, but I can't think of it. And I feel like the game is getting really heavy-handed with, like, the flirtatious thing because I was talking to somebody on the crew and the person like was talking about something and then there was like an option that fell like quote unquote under the romantic thing where it was like oh well we should discuss this sometime over dinner and like I know that the game like put that as a romantic option but me being the stupid person that I am I was thinking like well duh like that's a perfectly reasonable thing to to tell anybody like I don't have to ask someone to go out to dinner just because like I'm like sexually interested in them like if that's the only reason you go to dinner with people then I guess your name is Mike Pence and you're Vice President of the United States, but that's beside the point. Um, Uh, I, uh... uh... So like I mentioned that to the crew member, I'm like, oh, we should discuss this over dinner sometime. And the crew member was all like, oh, like they, they, I don't, I can't remember exactly what they said, but I remember them being like, they were like offended or off put, and they're like, oh well, you know, we we can't have dinner one on one or some something like some kind of excuse, like where I was that like they made it sound like I was like really diving to like get in their pants, and I was just like, okay, like first of all, it's like not what I meant at all. Like we can be two humans about this, and or maybe not humans because I think it was like an Asari or something, and like. uh and, you know, like, have dinner and discuss this. But it's just weird because I feel like the game gives you a very quick opportunity to give, like, romantic speech options to, like, everyone on your crew. And in the original Mass Effects, you really had to, like, build up a relationship with them and go on missions with them and learn more about their history and, like, talk to them a lot. And in this game, like, like the first conversation you have with these people after you get on your ship, you can, like, automatically leap for, like, the romantic, uh, like, responses to them. And it just seems, like, really rushed and like um uh just like not not well done I guess kind of like uh, superficial maybe and I don't know like I'm not really playing this game because I want to like fuck everybody on the on the ship although the Turian lady I do like her an awful lot so I'm hoping I can like les out with her at some point but it's just like not I don't know I feel like they're trying really hard to turn this into like a space sex game and I don't really want it to be that
0: Yeah, I had the same impression. I mean, I I had a couple of instances where I accidentally like kind of came on to somebody and I really didn't want to. Like, that was not my intention. And it was very early in the game. Like, it was really awkward. I think my first one was like with the doctor in your ship. And (laughs) I I don't even know what it was, but it was something innocuous. And it was just like, what? whoa, whoa, (laughs) what? I'm sorry. Like, let's back this up a little bit. But in general, I think the dialogue is really poorly written. I found that Ryder... Very often swung either between trying to give like these really like bag of hot air speeches about how we're a team and we need to be unified, even though that's not really justified in the game or like, a, yeah, fuck that. Let's party. Let's crack open a kegger. And it's like <laughs> it just swung like really wildly back and forth. I didn't I did not like the dialogue at all. I'm sorry. And as someone who has written two books, I put a lot of stock into dialogue and I know it's really hard to do well. And so when someone does it well, I really appreciate that. And I just, I don't think the dialogue
1: is done well in, in Andromeda at all. So
0: I'm with you on that.
1: Not good. Not good. Any, any yeah. final
0: thoughts before we move on?
1: I, well, I think my final thought is that you're just over there trying to one up me. I'm like, oh, I used to be a manager in retail. And you're like, oh, well, as somebody who's written two books. Oh, look at me. I'm Brad Galloway. I'm so <laughs> cool with my book writing abilities.
0: Yeah. Well, I so I wrote two books and I sold two books. So don't, <laughs> it's not like a big brag. Was it I'm not trying to get one to Both of them. Oh yeah, she won both. They're right here on my shelf. So <laughs> it's not like I'm trying to get one over on you, man. It is not a, it's not a big moneymaker for me by any means. Uh, I'm just so. giving you yeah. shit. <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, we will check back in with you about Mass Effect once you get a little further, or until you quit. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that will happen. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, I think it's really easy to put that game down and just never come back to it. So we will see. Um, one more quick mention before we wrap the show. And before I talk about it, I do want to very clearly specify I will be talking about this game in a preview sense. Nothing about this is a review at all. This is very early.
1: This is just impressions and thoughts. Say it with me, people. Preview. Does that mean um, you're going to like talk massive shit on it or that you're about to like praise it a bunch?
0: No, I really like it a lot. I just want to be very clear because it's still under embargo. It's under review embargo which means you can talk about it and give impressions. But I just want everybody to know this is a preview. Uh, This is for Birthdays, The Beginning. Uh, Very interesting, interesting little title. I don't think a lot of people know about it. It hasn't been getting a lot of press. Uh, It's put out by Toybox, who is headed up by Yasuhiro Wada. And I have to uh, admit that I'm a little bit embarrassed that I'm not super familiar with Mr. Wada's work, apparently he has been involved in the harvest moon series and he has been involved at marvelous and he's been uh in a couple of other things i mean uh he is somebody that is well known i've heard the name before i just i i have to just i have to fess up not super familiar with his output uh but he is being promoted as the main guy behind this game it's being put out by uh nis america it's coming out on may 5th so very soon and it's retailing for 39.99, so it's not a full-priced game, which is great. I think that's a very smart move. Um, Birthday's the beginning. It's, a, it's an appropriate title, but it's a title that doesn't tell you very much about the game. What it is, it is a life creation simulator. You begin the game with a cube floating in space. And you have this little, like, AI guy and, who talks to you. And he kind of walks you through the beginning. And the point of it is to, like, to create life. Um, there's a story and there's a setup. I don't want to, you know, really get into any of that right now. Um, the bottom line is that you have this little patch of land and it it's gamey, but it's also educational, but not intentionally educational, but by the very nature of its systems ends up being accidentally educational. Um, the first couple of missions is just to get some life going in, in this ocean you can create. So like you have this giant square of land, you dig out a patch where the ocean goes, it fills it up with water, you wait like 10,000 years, and of course you can fast forward. Uh, and like, you know, zooplankton and phytoplankton show up. And so you've got those and then a couple more thousand years and you get like uh, seaweed and you kind of just go like that. Like you look at it and it, it kind of teaches you the relationship between, um, the, the ratio of land to water and also like the temperature of the biome that you have. And then like the different factors that go into it. It's not super sim. It's not really, really mega detailed. Like I feel like it's an appropriate level of detail for a console. Um, but once you start getting to it, it's really not like a game game per se, because you're not really, you know, taking control of any of these things that you create. You're not, there's no combat or anything. It's just like, it's almost like it's this like little terrarium where you tweak the settings and then you kind of see what happens. Uh, temperature goes up, you see new species appear, temperature goes down, other species go extinct, species mutate, weird things happen. And it just kind of shows you like the interplay between animals and plants and the environment and how those environmental factors affect them but it's it's really fun it's really cute and it's very um it's really approachable i think that the tutorial needs a little bit of work because i was confused about a few things i kind of had to stumble my way through and then i restarted because i kind of messed some things up but once i restarted i got my legs and i got rolling and it's just it's very cute and interesting and i love seeing something like this because this to me is exactly the kind of thing that I would expect to see on the PS2. And I don't mean that as a negative. I mean that as a, as a big positive because the PS2 was probably my favorite system of all time. Well, maybe the PS1. But and the reason for that is because the diversity of software was so crazy. Like you had all these experimental games, all this weird stuff coming over from Japan, all these like, you know, Eurojank titles, like all these different things coming together. And there was like something for everybody and lots of lots of really experimental stuff. This has that experimental feel. It's very simple looking. The graphics are cute, but they're not very high tech. Uh, the systems are very simple. You know, it's not pushing the PS4 in any technical sense, but it's, its focus is where it should be. And that is on like just the gameplay, the design, the feel of it. And it's very interesting. Uh, if you like creation type things where, you know, honestly, it kind of reminds me of um, Evo, the search for Eden back on the Super Nintendo. Did you ever play that? Have you ever heard of that? I have no idea what that is. That was a really popular cult game back on the Super Nintendo where you took uh, a little critter and you it was like a side scrolling platformer, but you had to eat other animals and like you could evolve and every time you eat something, you could choose like which path to go on and it depended on what you ate and which what you did. Like you would, you know, the ultimate goal was to evolve into a human and it took like several, you know, epochs to to be able to do that it was a really really cool game i love that game a lot and this kind of feels like that in a certain way like you don't have direct control of your character but just that same feeling of like oh i'm gonna make more ocean or oh i'm gonna put a waterfall right here and oh that made this plant grow and oh now this plant here is here oh i get an herbivore and oh this herbivore is here and that means it attracts a carnivore and you know like you just kind of see how this all connects and it's really nice to just sit down with something where there's no violence, no pressure and just play with things. I mean if things go extinct, no big deal, change some settings, it comes back, it's fine. It's like it's just like a giant sandbox. Very cute, very interesting. If you're looking for something experimental or, you know, my son, my 8-year-old is loving this. He's loving the shit out of this because he just loves to see the different animals that appear and like he he can see the connection between his actions and their life and what creates it's just it's a really cool little thing i really dig it a lot um i'm going to be reviewing it for game critics and again this is just preview sense this is just general impressions this is not a review uh but i really like it a lot i'm very happy to see something like, like this show up i'm very proud of nis for bringing this out because i think it would have been very easy to leave this behind uh but it seems really cool i'm definitely into it and i will be talking more about it later on once i get further in and past the review embargo but uh I just wanted to let people know that this game existed. I think a lot of people have not even heard of it. It's not getting a lot of play right now. Uh, have not heard much about it in the Twitter sphere. So if you're listening to the show and you like things that are a little off the beaten path or things that are a little unusual, Birthdays, the beginning for PS4 and PC, uh, coming from NIS America on May 5th for 40 bucks. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a nice little gem so far.
1: Corey, is this is this kind of thing up your alley? Uh, I don't think this sounds like something i would play the whole time you have been describing it the only game i can i've been thinking about is like viva pinata
0: (laughs) yeah you know it kind of looks like it visually i think it's got a similar cartoony style but you know that's that's actually a fair comparison it's less irritating than viva pinata is uh but yeah kind of the same thing but in a more realistic sense like you have like like real animals that actually existed on earth and you know real like uh evolutionary chains to follow and stuff so yeah but similar though yeah that's that's not a bad comparison i think that's fair
1: well good i probably uh this does not sound like something i would play though to be honest with you
0: well i don't blame you i bet this is going to be a pretty niche thing it's not for everybody but that's fine i mean i think that's 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 very normal that's natural that's it's great i love seeing games like this that are very clearly not meant for everybody but i hope that people who it is for, we'll hear about this and we'll check it out and uh, give it a shot So, anyway, birthday is the beginning coming May 5th, and I think that is going to bring us to the end of our game chat, and the end of the show Uh, before we go for this week I would like to, number one, thank you all for listening and also to remind you that you can send us your comments, thoughts feedback, ideas anything else you'd like to, you can hit us up at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com we are also on Twitter as a show collectively at So Video Games.
1: And you can also reach us on Twitter individually. Corey, where can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at uh, my Twitter handle is my first and last name, Corey Motley, C O R E Y M O T L E Y.
0: Right on. And you can find me at Brad Galloway, B R A D G A L L A W A Y, all A's, no O's. And I think that is going to bring us to the end of another So Video Games. So we will see you next week. But in the
1: meantime, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week.